0: chapter 43 of the death shot this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the death shot by thomas main reed chapter 43 the hand of god scarce any stream of southwestern texas but runs between bluffs there is a valley or bottom-land only a little elevated above the water's surface and often submerged during inundations beyond this the bluffs the valley may be a mile or more in width in some places ten at others contracted till the opposing cliffs are scarce a pistol shot apart and of these there are frequently two or three tiers or terraces receding backward from the river the crest of the last and outmost being but the edge of an upland plain, which is often sterile and treeless. Any timber upon it is stunted, and of those species to which a dry soil is congenial. Mesquite, juniper, and blackjack oaks grow in groves or spinneys. While standing apart may be observed the arborescent yucca, the dragon tree of the western world, towering above an underwood unlike any other composed of cactaceae and all the varieties of ceris cactus and echinocactus, altogether unlike is the bottomland bordering upon the river there the vegetation is lush and luxuriant showing a growth of large forest timber the trees set thickly and matted with many parasites that look like cables coiling around and keeping them together these timbered tracts are not continuous but show stretches of open between here little glades filled with flowers, there grand meadows overgrown with grass, so tall that the horseman riding through it has his shoulders swept by the spikes which shed their pollen upon his coat. Just such a bottom-land is that of the San Saba, near the river's mouth where, after meandering many a score of miles from its source in the Llano Estegado, it espouses the Colorado gliding softly, like a shy bride, into the embrace of the larger and stronger flowing stream. For a moment departing from the field of romance, and treading upon the domain of history, or it may be but legend, a word about this Colorado River may interest the reader. Possibly, probably, almost for certain, there's no province in all Spanish America without its Rio Colorado. The geographer could count some scores of rivers so named, Point them out on any map. They are seen in every latitude, trending in all directions, from the great Colorado of Cannon celebrity in the north, to another far south, which cuts a deep groove through the grains of Patagonia. All these streams have been so designated from the hue of their waters, muddy, with a pronounced tinge of red. This from the ochreous earth through which they have coursed, holding it in suspension. In the Texan Colorado, there is nothing of this. On the contrary, it is a clear water stream. A circumstance that may seem strange till the explanation be given, which is that the name is a misnomer. In other words, the Texan river now bearing the designation Colorado is not that so-called by the Spaniards, but their Rio Brazos, while the present Brazos is their Rio Colorado, a true red-tinted stream the exchange of names, is due to an error of the American mapmakers, unacquainted with the Spanish tongue. Giving the Colorado its true name of Brazos, or more correctly, Brazo de Dios, the arms of God, the origin of this singular title for a stream presents us with a history or legend alike singular. As all know, Texas was first colonized by Spaniards, or Spanish Mexicans, on what might be termed the militant missionary system. Monks were sent into the province, cross in hand, with soldiers at their back, bearing the sword. Establishments were formed in different parts of the country, San Antonio de Beja being the ecclesiastical centre, as also the political capital. Around these, the Aborigines were collected, and after a fashion converted to Christianity. With the Christianizing process, however, there were other motives mixed up having very little to do either with morality or religion. Comfortable subsistence with the accumulation of wealth by the missionaries themselves was in most instances the lure which attracted them to Texas, tempting them to risk their lives in the so-called conversion of the heathen. The mission houses were in the monasterial style, many of them on a grand scale, mansions in fact, with roomy refectories and kitchens to correspond, snug sitting and sleeping chambers, well-paved courts, and spacious gardens attached. Outside the main building, sometimes forming part of it, was a church, or capilla, near the presidio or barrack for their military protectors, and beyond, the rancheria, or village of huts, the homes of the new-made neophytes no great difficulty had the fathers in thus handsomely housing themselves the converts did all the work willingly for the sake and in the name of the holy faith into which they had been recently inducted nor did their toil end with the erection of the mission buildings it was only transferred to a more laical kind to the herding of cattle and the tillage of the surrounding land this continued throughout their whole lives not for their own benefit but to enrich those idle and lazy friars in many cases men of the most profligate character it was in fact a system of slavery based upon and sustained by religious fanaticism the result as might be expected failure and far worse instead of civilizing the aborigines of america it has but brutalized them the more by eradicating from their hearts whatever of savage virtue they had and implanting in its place a debasing bigotry and superstition. Most American writers who speak of these missionary establishments have formed an erroneous estimate of them, and what is worse, have given it to the world. Many of these writers are, or were, officers in the United States Army, deputed to explore the wild territories in which the missions existed. Having received their education in Roman Catholic seminaries, they have been inducted into taking a too lenient view of the doings of the old Spanish padres. Hence their testimony so favourable to the system. The facts are all against them, these showing it a scheme of villainage more oppressive than the European serfdom of the Middle Ages. The issue is sufficient proof of this, for it was falling to pieces long before the Anglo-Saxon race entered into possession of the territory where it once flourished. The missions are now in a state of decadence, their buildings fast falling into decay, while the red man, disgusted at the attempt to enslave under the cloak of Christianizing him, has returned to his idolatry as to his savage life. Several of these missions were established on the San Saba River, one of which, for a considerable period, enjoyed a prosperous existence, and numbered among its neophytes many Indians of the Lipan and Comanche tribes. But the tyranny of their monkish teachers, by exactions of tense and almost continuous toil, themselves living in luxurious ease, and without much regard to that continence they inculcated, at length provoked the suffering serfs to revolt, in which they were aided by those Indians who had remained unconverted, and still heretically roamed around the environs. The consequence was that, on a certain day, when the hunters of the mission were abroad, and the soldiers of the Presidio, alike absent on some expedition, a band of the outside idolaters, in league with the discontented converts, entered the mission building with arms concealed under their ample cloaks of buffalo skin. After prowling about for a while, in an insolent manner, they at length, at a given signal from their chief, attacked the proselytizing padres, with those who adhered to them, tomahawked and scalped all who came in their way. Only one monk escaped. A man of great repute in those early times of Texas. Stealing off at the commencement of the massacre, he succeeded in making his way down the valley of the San Saba to its confluence with the Colorado. But to reach an asylum of safety, it was necessary for him to cross the latter stream, in which, unfortunately, there was a freshet its current so swollen that neither man nor horse could ford it. The Padre stood upon its bank, looking covetously across, and listening in terror to the sounds behind, these being the war-cries of the pursuing Comanches. For a moment the monk believed himself lost. But just then the arm of God was stretched forth to save him. This done in a fashion somewhat difficult to give credence to, easy enough for believers in the holy faith. It was a mere miracle, not stranger or more apocryphal than we hear of at this day in France, Spain, or Italy. The only singularity about the Texan tale is the fact of it not being original, for it is a pure piracy from sacred writ, that passage of it which relates to the crossing of the Red Sea by Moses and his Israelites. The Spanish monk stood on the river's bank, his eyes fixed despairingly on its deep, rapid-running current, which he knew he could not cross without the danger of being drowned. Just at this crisis, he saw the waters separate. The current suddenly stayed, and the pebbly bed showing dry as a shingle. Tucking his gown under his girdle, he struck into the channel, and, no doubt making good time, though the legend does not speak of this, he succeeded in planting his sandaled feet dry-shod on the opposite shore so far the texan's story closely corresponds with the mosaic beyond the incidents as related are slightly different pharaoh's following host was overwhelmed by the closing waters the pursuing comanches did not so much as enter the charmed stream which with channel filled up as before was running rapidly on. They were found, next morning, upon the bank where they had arrived in pursuit, all dead, all lying at full stretch along the sward, their heads turned in the same direction, like trees struck down by a tornado. Only the omnipotent could have done this. No mortal hand could make such a coup. Hence the name which the Spaniards bestowed upon the present Colorado— Brazos de dios the hand of god hence also the history or rather fable intended to awe the minds of the rebellious redskins and restore them to christianity or serfdom which it did not since from that day the missions of san saba remained abandoned running into ruin it is to one of these forsaken establishments colonel armstrong is conducting his colony his future son-in-law having purchased the large tract of territory attached to it. To that spot, where more than a century ago the monks made halt, with cross borne conspicuously in one hand and sword carried surreptitiously in the other, there is now approaching a new invasion, that of axe and rifle, neither ostentatiously paraded, but neither insidiously concealed." End of chapter 43